Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, worship team, for that wonderful time of worship. Good morning, everybody. Hope you're doing well this morning. I, too, want to welcome you and welcome you, those of you that are with us online this morning. Uh, I haven't had a chance to meet you. My name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm so grateful that you are with us today. And if you are a guest with us, um, at the end of the gathering, you can fill out one of those little connect cards that are right there around you in the uh, pew. If you don't see one, we'll be glad to give you one. And uh, we've got a gift for you that we'd like to give to you as you depart. And the same if you're joining us online for the first time uh, today, you can go to homesavenue.com forward slash contact, and we will be happy to reach out to you. Um, But I want to welcome you all here this morning again, and I'm excited for this last Sunday of Advent together, uh, leading up to this upcoming uh, Friday night as we have Christmas Eve alongside of Centerpoint Church at Remount, formerly Remount Baptist, and also Cooper River Baptist, as we gather together on Remount Road at Center Point. So that'll be at 5 p.m. It's going to be a great time of worship. We're going to kind of take everything that we've talked about over these last four weeks, bring them all to a head, worship Christ together. It's going to be a really wonderful time. So I encourage you, if you're in town, if you're able, please join us this Friday night at 5 p.m. Also, I want to make note that uh, if you would like to continue to give to the ministry of Holmes Avenue or give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, you can do so via the options you see there on the screen, uh, and you can do that all there and, and be able to give to those ministries. We'll be grateful for that. Uh, if this is your first time with us or first time in a while, we have been going through this Advent season, as Pastor Walter said at the beginning of our gathering, and today we are at uh, the topic of joy. And we've been journeying through this series, A Weary World Rejoices. And um, in in all of these uh, sermons each week, we have looked at these Old Testament prophecies, Old Testament scriptures, and we've looked at fulfillments. We've looked at how God has used those things in the New Testament and brought them to a head. And we're going to do the same here today. Now, I've entitled today's message, A Weary World Needs Joy. Pretty easy, right? A Weary World Needs Joy. And I ask the question of this first before we start. Have you ever in your life experienced something to where you have been longing for something so badly? And the anticipation is building. You're excited. Uh, Maybe for many of us, our, our minds go right back to Christmas as a child, waiting for that time for Christmas morning to come. And lo and behold, it would always be the case that the kids and my kids do the same thing. It's like five o'clock in the morning. They're ready to get this party started. And Noah doesn't do that just on Christmas. That's every day of his life. He's up, ready to go, and we're like, dude, sleep, please, please sleep. Um, but he, that's his thing. But Christmas morning, you would long for that time, and you'd be so excited, and the anticipation had built, and then you just felt the joy that came when you saw everything that was there before you, whether it be from a jolly red fella or from somebody else. You were excited. You had that moment, that longing of joy. Maybe it's been something else. Maybe there's a different example that you can think of coming to your mind. Maybe there's been something that's happened in your life that the moment that it happened, you just were just so overjoyed, much like the passage we read for today, when the wise men see Jesus, they have this exceedingly great joy. My prayer for many of us in this room is if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the moment that you came to understand that Christ was your Savior, you repented of your sins and you confessed Christ as Lord, that joy was overwhelming. We opened our time earlier with the reading of the Isaiah passage in Isaiah 12. I want to talk about that just for a moment before we spend the rest of our time in the Matthew passage. If you were to go back and read chapters 1 through 11 of the book of the prophet Isaiah, you find uh, some scenes that play out 
you would see some things regarding Israel. You would see some cold-hearted people. You would see bad leadership at times. You'd see sin. You'd see God's allowance of the devastation to Israel and Judah by opposing forces. There's a lot of junk there. And then you get to chapter 11 and you read of this messianic kingdom that is coming. You would read of all the promises of God that you've already seen bits and pieces of through the book of Isaiah. We talked last week of Isaiah 9, the child that is born, King Jesus. The shoot from the stump of Jesse. You'd read of who would come in Jesus. And then by the time you hit chapter 12 that Pastor Walter read earlier, you're left with this sense of joy. You see, when we get to chapter 12, it leaves the reader in awe because despite the sin that we all have committed against God, God is gracious, God is loving, He is compassionate, He is kind. He shows us grace and provides the Redeemer in Jesus. So you could take this hymn, if you will, of Isaiah 12, and you could break it down into two sections. Verses one through three, we could see about how we are to trust God, the God of our salvation. And then when we get to verses four through six, we see the, the need, the driving force of what every believer is to do, and that is to make the Lord's name great to everyone that we encounter. Among the nations, the reality of the gospel and the call of our lives as followers of Jesus is to do this, is it not? We rejoice in the God of our salvation, trusting him, and then we make his name great, make his name known to others. His name already is great. We can see the joy that is found in this truth. And today we're gonna spend the remainder of our time, I said, coming off the heels of last week. Last week, we were in peace, the advent of peace, and we looked at the Isaiah 9 passage, and then we went to Luke 2, the Christmas story itself, and we see the peace that is provided through this baby that is born, who will grow to be a sinless man, who will be betrayed and go to hang on Calvary's cross for the sins of all mankind, defeating sin and death after coming off that cross and resurrecting from the grave on the third day. And for all who would repent and believe, salvation can be known to you, and great joy can come upon you, can come upon our lost family, friends, neighbors, coworkers. Great joy. And just as Pastor Walter said a minute ago, we will then truly encounter, because we have encountered the risen Lord, the true hope, love, peace, and joy that he provides. Before we go further in our time together, I wanna to go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to guard our time, so please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, you are so great. We thank you, Father, that on that holy night, after years and years and years of silence, you heralded the good news of great joy that is for all people, you told those shepherds to go and find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in the manger. We thank you, Lord, that in that moment, the incarnation is so beautiful that Christ Jesus, the God-man, divinely God, the Son of God, came into this world to eventually die because of our sin. 
to be wrapped in cloths and to be lying down in a tomb. But thanks be to you, God. Christ Jesus resurrected from that grave and he is ascended at your right hand or he intercedes on behalf of the saints and he is coming back. And so, Lord, now as we talk about this Advent of joy, Lord, now as we are in the season of Advent, Lord, now as we are waiting for the day of his return, guide our time right now, Father. Speak in this place. Speak through me, Father. Get me out of the way. Speak to hearts today, Lord. I pray for every person within the sound of my voice. Lord, if there are people here or listening online that do not know you as Savior and Lord, Lord, I beg you that today may be the day of salvation for them. Not so that we can boast, Lord, but we can boast in you for what you have done. We beg you, Lord, to have your way, O oh God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So the good news of the gospel and salvation brings this great sense of joy for all people. If you're taking notes, I hope you are. The first point is this. There is great joy in Christ's coming. There is great joy in Christ's coming. You can follow along in Matthew 2. The words will be on the screen. Verses 1 and 2 says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Here we see that some time has passed since Jesus was born, and the Magi, the wise men, they appear before Herod the king. Now, there's some things that we have to address here, some things that you may say and say, wait a minute, I didn't know that. First, unlike what most of our nativity scenes depict, the Magi, the wise men, they're not present right there in the moment that Jesus is born. You might say, well, how is that? Why is that? Well, we can see just a, just a little bit later in verse 16. That's not part of our passage today, but I'll read it to you. Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all the region who were two years old and under according to the time that had ascertained from the wise men. We also see in verse 11 that it tells us that Mary and Joseph are, are in a house now. They're not necessarily there in the stable. There's also this common misconception at times. We, we don't necessarily know exactly how many wise men were there in the midst of that time. We usually have the, the three wise men that we sing about in one of those songs that we sing at Christmas time. And we usually relate that because of the, the three gifts that they bring, the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. But we're not 100% sure of how many were present at that time. But one thing that we do know we do know that in this passage of Scripture, two specific kings are mentioned. One is an earthly king, King Herod. He's the one that the wise men approach, and he, they ask this question of, where is this child that has been born, this king of the Jews? And then we also know that the eternal king, the reigning king, the one from the Davidic line, the one King Jesus is here before us in this passage. Now let's go back for a moment and let's look at and understand the magi, the, the wise men. The word magi translate in the Greek as magos. And they are looked at like magicians, if you will, at times. They were astronomers, hence the star following of the star. Now they, did, they debate where they came from. Most scholars do. 
But Douglas O'Donnell in his Preaching the Word commentary, which I'll just put a little side note here. If you ever want to have a good commentary just to follow, just to get some understanding from, Pastor Walter and I, we love the, the Preaching the Word commentary series by Crossway. We'll give you more details on that later if you want to look at it. But I just want to put that in there. It's a, it's a rich commentary series. But he, he gives some biblical evidence for what he believes that come from Babylon. And why is that? Well, in the book of Daniel, the Old Testament book of Daniel, and I know I'm giving you a lot here, but it's just for context. In Daniel, it talks about the Chaldeans and the Babylonians having wise men. O'Donnell argues that Matthew, who is divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, is possibly saying that the pilgrimage of the nations to the holy city for this time of the census and all that took place, this flooding of Gentiles entering into the people of God has begun just as the prophets predicted. We also see this ironic twist, as O'Donnell says, in the return from the Babylonian exile is certainly over if the Babylonians themselves are bowing before Zion's king. It tells us a little bit later in this passage we're looking at today that they worship Christ when they see him. That's, there's great joy in Christ's coming because what Jesus has done entering into this world and ultimately living the sinless life where he goes and dies for the sins of all mankind that includes the Gentiles. That includes these people that are coming before to find out where this baby is so they can go and worship him. They specifically say that they're going to worship Jesus. In those times, a, a new star in the sky was believed to herald the birth of a significant person in the land where the star was laying over. So hence the reason why they've gone here before Herod there in Jerusalem. Now, do we know from biblical evidence and what we see that it's the little town of Bethlehem? And we'll talk about that more in a moment. This little town that would be the most famous city in all the world because it's where the king of the world was born. See, there's great joy in Christ's coming because there's no longer this need of waiting. There's no longer this need of waiting for the Messiah to enter the picture because he has come. Now, as I said just a moment ago in the prayer, for those of us who are in Christ, we now have this sense of waiting on this side of the cross. There's great joy in the waiting for Christ coming again. There's great joy because we long and we wait for the day where the trumpet will sound and Christ Jesus will return. And as we referenced at the very end of the sermon last week, there is a day where there will be no more pain. There will no, be no more tears. There will be no more crying. For the old things will pass away. And he will wipe away every tear from their eye. And death shall be no more. Do you long for that day? I pray that you do. As we wait with joy in Christ's coming again. Secondly, there's great joy in prophecies fulfilled. Great joy in prophecies fulfilled. Look at verse three. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Instead of what a, a follower of God would do and rejoice in the news that the king has been born and they're looking for this king, it says that he is disturbed. 
It says that Herod is disturbed. Some, some better translation of that is he's agitated or he's terrified. He's agitated or he's terrified. Why would that be the case? Because he's heard news of this new king being born. And they're, they're looking for him. They want to find him. They want to worship him. He's envious of that. He's jealous. He doesn't want to lose his influence. He's very agitated. And it says there that it was him and all Jerusalem. Now, this is not literal, like every single person in Jerusalem. But instead, it's probably referring to the religious leaders of Israel who dominated the city. And to be honest, Herod probably had great influence amongst those people. Verse 4 tells us, assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. He's calling those people together. He's like, I need to know where this baby was born. I need to know what's going on. I need to know who this king is. I need to find out. And it's all for an ulterior motive. It's not to worship him. It's not to bring him praise. It's not because he has great joy. Verses five and six read. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Those leaders respond with a verse quoting what we referenced for a moment last week in Micah 5 2. But you, O Bethlehem Epaphrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth one for, for me who is the ruler in, in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. What's interesting to note from verse 6 that we read a second ago is that Matthew added something compared to what Micah's phrasing is. He's put there by no means. By no means. It's a reference to what I said a second ago. This is to show just how significant little old Bethlehem, forgotten by most. You're just a little old town. Something great has taken place. The king has been born. And that last phrase there of verse 6 is very significant. It points to the reason for great joy for all people. At the end of verse six, it reads, who will shepherd my people, Israel. This implies guidance. It implies compassion. It implies this sense of care. Much like we as pastors here, as the under shepherds, we are to provide care, guidance, compassion, love. We get that ultimately from the wonderful counselor, King Jesus. I love what Craig Blomberg in his New American Commentary says. He says, the final phrase of Matthew's quotation comes from 2 Samuel 5, 2, in which godly shepherding formed part of the role assigned to Israelite kings. What they often fail to carry out, remember, sinful people, the Messiah, will now perform properly. I read that and I was just like, wow, what a statement. Because mere kings, sinful kings, cannot do exactly what they are called to do, but Christ can. Christ does. 
verse 7 and 8 says, When Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them the time the star had appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Here he is, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Notice, he doesn't say this before his crew. He takes them in privately. And he says, please go and do this for me. And he puts on this front. Find him, search diligently for him. And when you bring him back, let, or when you, when you find that, bring the news back to me so I can go and worship him. We know from what we read a moment ago in verse 16 that his plan is to go out and have all the children to and under killed so that he can hopefully see that Jesus is killed. There's great joy in prophecies fulfilled because much like we read from the Micah passage, the scriptures have been fulfilled. There's no longer this moment for the people at this time of longing and waiting for the Old Testament passages to come to fruition. There's no longer this sense of waiting because God has spoken. Some two years prior, he spoke, he heralded the news that Christ was born. After years and years and years of silence, there's no more waiting and longing for a Messiah to come in, to take over, because he's been born. He's alive. He is here. The prophecies have been fulfilled. And there's a day coming, as I've already said, when he comes back and all things are made new. Do you imagine that day when he does come back and everything is established, the new heavens, the new earth, and all of those things that I referenced from Revelation are gone? We'll be at perfect peace. There won't be a COVID virus you have to worry about. There won't be sickness. There won't be political unrest or racial unrest. There won't be anything of that sort because all things will be the way that they were originally intended to be long before the fall of man in Genesis 3. There will be no more waiting for us for Jesus to come back. Because he will be back. We will be called up into the sky with him and we will be there in the new heavens and the new earth and we will worship him forever and ever and ever and ever. I had a conversation with somebody this week and they, they made the comment of um, sometimes not liking to go in and, and just hearing a song on repeat if they've been into a worship conference or a, a gathering, it's like the song plays over and over. I don't want to keep singing the same song over and over. And I just, I didn't say it to the person, but chuckling to myself thought, whew, heaven's going to be hard for you because <laughs> we're just going to be singing holy, holy, holy over and over and over because he's worthy of that. The prophecies have been fulfilled. So there's great joy in that. And the third point, with great joy, is worship. Great joy with worship. Verse 9 reads, After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. 
tells us that the star actually moves as a guide to them for the Magi until it rests over where Jesus was. They've heard Herod tell them to go and find where the child is and come and report back to me because I've got to worship this child. I've got to worship this new king. And in this moment, they're giving him the benefit of the doubt. Matter of fact, they're doing exactly what he wants them to do until God tells them in a dream, stop, go the other way. So they're giving him the benefit of the doubt. They're doing it and they see the star and they begin to follow it. Verse 10 reads, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. This is awesome. When they see the star, the star in the sky, they rejoice exceedingly with a great joy. They were so excited as they knew the time had come. The star was there. They were going to follow it, and then they will finally lay their eyes on this king. The one that they had searched long and hard for would soon be before their eyes. They're waiting the result in joy. The same would be true for the people, as I've said. God had not spoken for some time. The angels heralded the news of Christ's birth, and the waiting had come to an end. Exceedingly great joy can and should be the response of all who are in Christ. Although the reality of sin is around us, We can rejoice because God provides the hope, love, peace, and joy to navigate this life until we see eternity. We've experienced it, have we not? We've experienced the great joy that comes from our Messiah, our King. The first part of verse 11 reads... And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Magi have arrived at Mary and Joseph's house. They see Mary and they see Jesus. And their first response is to fall down in worship. Their first response is to fall down in worship. Don't forget, these are Gentiles. They fall down and they worship. God in the flesh is before them and they are moved to worship. Such a long journey, walking at times, riding on the camel, mile after mile, town by town, month after month up to this point. And there he is before him. They were persistent. They knew that the star revealed something. They knew that they had to see this child. And so they kept going on and on and on. Notice in verses 10 and 11, it says that they were filled with joy and they worshiped. I don't think that 
I'm going to read it to you again. 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary's mother, and they fell down, and they worshiped him. I don't think that those are just there by chance. God, divinely inspiring Matthew to write, puts this there. The eternal joy that God provides through Christ is greater than our fears. It's greater than our worry. It's greater than our doubt. It's greater than our pain. The joy from God is a gift knowing that despite any and all things we face, God is sovereign, he's in control, he gives us hope. We experience his love, and because of all that, it gives us peace. It gives us great peace. It's interesting to note that neither Herod, who just played the part, doesn't really truly want to worship him, nor the chief priests and scribes, none of them are there to seek Jesus and worship. Instead, these Gentiles, these magi, these wise men, as they're referred to, are. This makes the words of the angels that we talked about last week so profound. Luke 2.10, and the angel said to them, fear not, for I behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Christ's coming is the good news that elicits great joy that is for all people. It ties beautifully to what we read earlier from Isaiah. Isaiah 12, 5 through 6. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitants of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. It should be the response of God's people to be much like those Gentiles the moment they laid eyes on Jesus. They fell and they worshiped him. Because of the great joy the hope, the peace, the love that we have, the longing and waiting for what is to come. We should sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Church, let this be made known in all the earth. Let it be known on South Boulevard, on Holmes Avenue, on Durant Avenue, around Park Circle, in the city of North Charleston, the state of South Carolina, the United States of America, and to the ends of the earth. Shout and sing for joy. Because the Holy One of Israel has come. And he has defeated the grave and he's providing salvation to all who would repent and believe. The second part of verse 11, going back to it, reads, they opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They brought these three gifts to Jesus on this day. And these gifts are typically associated with royalty. Now we know that myrrh is used in embalming and your mind may automatically go there. Now, Matthew doesn't introduce the idea yet of Jesus's birth. I mean, of his death, excuse me. He hasn't put that out there yet. So as, as we know that that could be a foreshadowing to what is coming with Jesus's eventual death, these gifts are there to honor this royal king. And some scholars would even say that as they are about to be departing, 
because of what Herod is sending to be done to the infants and to the children up to the age of two, these things could be used on their journey to help them providentially. Verse 12 reads, don't miss this. Being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. You could read that verse and just say, oh, okay, well, God told him not to go there because there was death coming and Jesus could have potentially died. Don't just read that verse, though, and just pass along it. That verse right there shows the sovereignty and the powerful working of God to intervene in this life. There in that moment, God comes before them in a dream, do not return to Herod. Because Herod all along, he's waiting on these magi, these wise men to come back and tell them, hey, he's in Bethlehem. You'll find him at the house at the corner of this and this. He's waiting for that. But it doesn't happen because God intervened in that moment. And these wise men, these magi, go the opposite way, back to their own country. We know from just the next few verses that the angel of the Lord appears before Joseph and tells them what is coming because Herod gets frustrated and Herod still sends it out. Like he's, he's making true to his promise. This is going to happen. I'm not going to be pushed aside. And they depart for Egypt. And we rejoice that God intervenes there in that moment because we know from the scriptures moving forward, just as I said earlier, Jesus grows to be a man Jesus grows to be a sinless man, the God-man, God in the flesh. And he begins his earthly ministry. He pours himself into 12 men. And one of those men betray him for 30 pieces of silver. And the man that came in the incarnation of the manger eventually goes to the old wooden cross where he's nailed to it spat upon, whipped, beaten, stripped of his clothing. And he hangs there on that cross where the wrath of God is poured out on him in the place of your sin and my sin. Who are we, as one of the songs say, that he would be mindful of us? Because I don't know about you, but on my very best day, when I get everything right, or at least I think I get it right, even on that best day, what I could give to him is nothing but filthy rags because of my sin. And I think each and every one of us, if we were true and we evaluated ourselves, we would say the same thing. Thanks be to God, we don't have to go before him because of what we can offer him, because we can only offer him trash. But we, we get to receive with great joy the salvation that he offers and the righteousness of Christ that covers us because of his precious blood that was poured out in our place on Calvary's hill. 
I am so grateful that he did that for you and I. I'm so grateful that he didn't stay on the cross, die, and be put into a tomb, wrapped up and rolled in front and just laid there, decaying. I'm grateful that Christmas happened so that we can get to Easter Sunday because the king is not dead, he is risen. Thanks be to God for that. I pray as we go into this week of Christmas. I pray that as we finish up this Advent season, I pray that you truly know the greatest gift of all, and that's salvation through Christ Jesus our Lord. I pray that you know the true hope, love, peace, and joy that he gives. Because it's eternal. It's transformational. It's life-giving. We're going to do as we always do right now, and we're going to stop and reflect and ask God, Lord, what have you been saying? What are you saying? What do you want me to do with this? If you're listening right now online and, and you want to reach out, you have questions, please go to homesavenue.com forward slash contact and let us know any and all things that you have questions about, things that we can be praying for you. Same is true for anybody in here. Maybe you're like, man, I really don't want to come forward and talk right now, but I've got some stuff I want to talk about. You can reach out to Pastor Walter or I after the fact. You can go to that link if you want to jot it down. Reach out to us on there and then we'll follow with you. It doesn't matter. What I want you to understand is if there's something going on that you need prayer for, you need counsel for, maybe you're saying, man, today truly may be the day of salvation for me. You need to let someone know so that we can be praying for you, that we can walk alongside of you, so that we can have joy, exceedingly great joy in what God is doing in you. So let's take a moment and reflect. I'll pray for us and then we'll sing. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, God, I come before you thankful, Lord, that in this Advent season, we can see these four key elements, Lord, but knowing that we don't truly receive those and, and encounter them in a way that is just awing without what represents the white candle and that being Christ. And what Jesus, you have done for us. Father, I ask, Lord, that as we go to sing this song of praise to you, Lord, that if you are speaking in this moment to someone right now, Lord, I pray, Lord, that they would not just let it pass, but Lord, that they would listen. Lord, if you are moving them to a response of some kind, whatever it may be, for the amount of people that are here right now or listening online, it could be different for each and every one of us. Lord, you know everything there is to know about us. 
So Father, I pray, Lord, that if if there is sin in our life that is holding us back from moving forward in obedience to you, Lord, that you would draw us to repentance, that we would confess those things to you, Lord, and that we would start fresh today. Lord, if you're calling us to walk in obedience to something, to, to take a bold step, to fulfilling the call in our life that you have, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would make that clear and, Lord, that we would walk in obedience to you boldly. Father, if you are drawing a sinner to repentance today for salvation, Lord, I pray, God, that you would grant that, Lord, that we may rejoice exceedingly with them just as the angels in heaven do when one comes to repentance and faith. Thank you for what you have done. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't just kick us to the curb. Thank you, Lord, despite our sin and shame. While we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. May you receive all the glory, honor, and praise. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.